This is Before the Light Goes Out with Catherine Williams. Mary Waterson is a singer, songwriter and visual artist. She's a member of the Waterson family musical dynasty. Her mum was the late, great Lal Waterson. She's made seven albums, all released on One Little Indie Records, and collaborated with artists such as Emily Barker, Ardem, Lisa Knapp, Adrian Utley, David Jaycock and Ollie Knight. She's toured with Richard Hawley and Jarvis Cocker, and her music and voice is described as beautiful, singular, unique and otherworldly. Welcome, Mary Waterson. <laughs> it's lovely to see your face. So how did you sleep last night? Not very well. <laughs> I've got this miserable thing, a frozen shoulder, and every time I roll over, I wake up with a pain, so not too good. You're not the first person who's a musician who said that. I think Ed Harcourt has also had, had that problem as well. I wonder if it's like sitting writing or sitting at a computer. Well, there's no real way to tell what causes it, but I seriously wouldn't wish it on anybody because I've been grey with the pain. It's it's not good. Oh, bless you. So where where are you sleeping tonight? In my bed. Where is that? <laughs> In Robin Hood's Bay. It's a beautiful bed that we had made that's got a massive wooden curly bedspread, uh, curly headboard. Is that it behind you? It is, it's, yeah. <laughs> it does. It looks like some sort of cathedral of a bed. So do you have that made yourself? Yeah. <laughs> do it in all of these interviews, I don't think I've ever done an interview seeing the bed that the person has slept in. Well, it's it's shaped like the apex of our roof. So it's like a big triangle and it has twisty turned pine turned columns. And it's really nice. It is beautiful. It looks very sort of gothic. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose you're near Whitby, aren't you? Maybe it's... Yeah, quite. So your house is on, am I right, it's on top of a cliff, isn't it? It's not literally perched on a cliff, but yeah, we're overlooking the sea and we live in the middle of a field and it's a 400-year-old Yorkshire longhouse and it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, dead lucky to be here. I feel guilty if anybody comes and looks at the view and says, oh, my goodness, and they take pictures, delivery men take pictures, and they say, I must show my wife. And then I feel really awful for being so privileged to live here by the <laughs> sea. <laughs> no, I think it sounds like the perfect place for a poetic and musical mind, don't you? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we all, we all grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere the three Waterson families, so I guess this is why I live here. Oh, did you grow up together? Like, yeah, the families yeah. living in the same place? Yeah, well, when we left Hull, um, my mum, Lal Waterson, her sister, Norma Waterson, and their brother, Mike Waterson, they all pooled their money together, like a bunch of hippies. They were known as hippies. And we bought a plot of land that had a house and some barns, and, and they converted the barns into... Well, there's one main farmhouse and then the, the other barns made two houses and they all drew lots for which family was going to get which plot. And we got the main house, the original house, yeah. And we, we had a wood and so we were just feral and we just wild from, from living in a town with a 10-foot and, you know, 
playing ball on the streets to just having a fantastic wood to explore. Wow, so you grew up with your cousins like siblings, really? Yeah, yeah. And so so did everyone sort of just chip in and work together or was it separate? separate families on the same plot or mostly and then when we all had our individual things you know we became more separate then but we did live together in the main farmhouse while the barns were being built our michael and my dad and uh, a friend tom built the other houses so it was challenging at times sounds idyllic but there was some fights <laughs> yeah <laughs> What's happened to that? Did that is anyone from the Waterson family still living there? Yeah, Mike's wife Anne still lives there. Our norm was the first to move away, and then my mum. Just because you they wanted their own. Uh, no, no, just just for just for a change, you know, and just moved into the village because it was very isolated where we lived, you know, in the middle of the moors sort of thing. Yeah, so everyone still lives Robin Hood's Bay. That's yeah. still your hood. It is. Where is the strangest place you've ever slept? Well, it's not terribly adventurous. Well, a couple of weeks ago I was on tour and I'd got this kind of trick knee. I'm dropping to bits, honestly. And so <laughs> I was left at this hotel and was being picked up by um, by the splitter van. I'd run out of time, so I'd been kicked out at 12 o'clock. And because I had this bad knee, I couldn't wander around. So I said to him, can I just sit in this chair in reception? And they said, yeah, that's fine, while I was waiting to be picked up. And I just fell asleep. <laughs> the receptionist came over when I woke up and said, I'll have whatever you're having. She says, there's been everybody in and out, all, you know, people wheeling their luggage in and phones going off. She said, you were out for the count. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other time... I guess was on our honeymoon. We just bought our first house and uh, we didn't have much money. And we went off to Scotland. We'd booked a, a B&B for a couple of nights and then we thought we'd just go where the mood took us and find somewhere to sleep after that. Now we ended up, I think it, we'd gone over to the Isle of Skye and there weren't many rooms available and what there was was too expensive. So we ended up sleeping in our car on our honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd just, in the middle of the night, just found this little lay-by to... Uh, to park up in and we woke up with the sea lapping around the waves of the wheels so um don't know where we'd ended up but they'd got out of there sharpish <laughs> have you sort of upgraded since since the honeymoon do you stay <laughs> other places on anniversaries or we don't actually get out much to be honest no. i suppose it's like if you live somewhere you love that's it why go other places yeah I feel like that with the garden. Sometimes I'm like, I'm like, well, why would I go to the countryside when it's not as nice as my garden? <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, we could pay for exactly the same thing, just with a slightly different view. And, you know, it is lovely. I, I mean, I really treasure our garden. And in Robin Hood's Bay Gardens, you just don't get many gardens, you know, because there are little tiny uh, stone cottages with no gardens mostly. So we're very lucky. What's the situation there with, like, tourism and, like, holiday oh, lets and stuff? It's ghastly. It's unsustainable. It's, you know, there'll, there'll be many people that'll say, oh, well, I make my living out of tourism. But there's a lot of people who don't. And it's a catch-22 situation because once the fishing had gone, then there wasn't that much employment, so people started moving away. And then you lose your tradesmen and you lose your customers and 
I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it's unsustainable now because there are hardly any residents in the village now and young people can't afford to live here. I mean, we all like to go visit somewhere. We all like to be beside the sea. It's it's a really difficult problem. But, you know, in Whitby now, all the houses are being taken over by Airbnb and I don't know where they think they're going to get the staff from to run the hotels and the pubs and stuff and the cafes and the cleaners and all the workers because there's nowhere for them to afford to be able to live because every bug has got a second home. Yeah. So it's a sore point really. <laughs> I was thinking how lucky you are where, where you live and stuff because a lot of those like more glamorous, so-called unique and of the place houses aren't there for the locals. Like the locals are living on new builds, you know, a mile away or whatever. Well, or mostly moving away. But there is there is employment, you know, there's... I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Especially with like lockdown that happened and like online stuff and, you know, you and me are chatting on Zoom and stuff. Mm. There's more and more opportunity for people to live where they want. Mm, Yeah. Do you feel like a hardcore community, people you know? and Well, there is, but me and my husband used to live down in the bottom of the village and eventually, because the pubs are tiny, eventually we stopped going out because they were filled with people we didn't know and you could literally go around the four pubs or whatever and not see anybody you knew because they were all full of tourists. So, I mean, there are there are certain pubs that you can go on and you go at certain times and you know you're going to meet your mates and that, but it's a, it's a serious problem for a tiny village. Yeah, I never thought of that. Mm. So can you sleep anywhere? Well, yeah, I think I can. I think that when you're touring, you you grab it when you can. And I think, I don't think I would have been able to do that when I was younger, but I think if you get into that lifestyle, you can. I mean, on the last tour, there's a, <laughs> some of the band took some pictures of me and Lisa, Lisa and I just sprawled out <laughs> any old way, just, just, just to sleep with a shawl over us. Cause she just, you, just get, <laughs> you just get used to doing that, don't you? Nodding off. Yeah. I used to love it when you'd find a piece of black material in backstage and you could sort of make yourself a little den over a couple of chairs and you'd have yeah. like a dark room. <laughs> and if you found a pillow, but then I always feel like... Luxury! <laughs> slightly odd of the pillows in backstage rooms because you yeah. think, what? Bleh. Yeah. yeah, I always carry a shawl with me, actually, and that's great because if you stay in, stay in anywhere where they've got millions of cats and your bed's full of cat hair or whatever, or if you want to go to sleep or you want to hide, you just put a shawl over your head and that's job done. <laughs> oh, do you know, that is a very, very good top tip. I got a, a friend who's a fan who gave me a tin and in the tin is just um, some fairy lights. Because they never have good lighting backstage, do they? Oh, yeah, no. Do you prefer sleeping alone or with someone? Well, I would prefer sleeping with someone, my husband, but we're in a bit of a sad state at the moment. With uh, He got diagnosed as having sleep apnea, so he has his own room. That's because he snores for England. I would say to anybody, if they've got a partner who is snoring for England... And so that you're prodding them and telling them to roll over and elbowing them and not getting any sleep yourself. And and it, especially if they're snoring and then sort of stopping and going, <laughs> tell them to go and get checked at the sleep clinic because it's it's a killer, his sleep apnea. And N- Nigel eventually went to be um, 
diagnosed because he'd picked me up from the station I'd been to a gig. We would got into the countryside doing about 60 mile an hour and he said, I don't feel very well. And he just passed out at the wheel. <gasps> and so I had to get the car off the road from the passenger seat and sort of go from 60 to nothing. And I got onto the verge and we hit a load of those piles of gravel, sand grit for yeah, when it's yeah. snowy. We hit a few of those. And I think because we were driving an Audi, I think they automatically cut out when you hit something. Because his foot would have been on the accelerator, and it, oh, it was it was pretty horrendous on all all levels, really. One, I thought I'd just watched my husband die, and then and also the shock of bringing a car that's doing sixty seventy mile an hour to, <laughs> to get onto the verge and stop, and I sort of got the car to stop. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, he's, he's not had enough life. What am I going to tell the kids? And just as I was reaching for my phone, he woke up and he said, oh, if I crashed. And I said, yeah. And he went, oh, I'll be all right now, now. <laughs> You're joking. Get out of the car. I'm going to drive. And uh, so he went to the sleep clinic and they told him that he was having so many events in an hour that basically he was stopping breathing. And he was having these what they call little mini deaths. And it's accumulative and the stress it puts on your body is pretty bad for your health. So I don't know what sleep apnea is. What, what well, it's is where it? your throat closes. So he has to wear a mask now to keep his throat. It pushes air into your throat, into your airways, to keep the airways open. And it sounds like Darth Vader. <laughs> Like this, and that's why it's got his own room because he has to <laughs> sleep in this mask. And uh, but it's keeping him alive because without it, he'd stop breathing. So sleep apnea is very serious. So anybody who thinks their partner snores too much won't get checked out. Can you imagine driving a car and your husband passes out while he's driving? So he passed out because of the sleep apnea. Yeah, because he, he, he just hadn't got enough sleep. So he, his body had just said, right, I need to sleep. So it just went to sleep while he was driving. Is that a bit like narcolepsy? I don't know. Maybe it's related. I don't know. So you, you sleep alone? <laughs> I do sleep alone. I was sneaking to each other's rooms for cuddles. But um, yeah, I do sleep alone. That's a good segue because my next question is spoon, cuddle or space? I like to be under his arm, under his wing. <laughs> and then I like space. You know, I think everybody does, doesn't it? Right, that's enough. Yeah. I'm going to sleep now. There's a limit. <laughs> In the night, do you sleep through? No. <laughs> I used to do. And uh, bed was like, oh, I love my bed. You know, I write in bed. I just love getting into bed. And if I see a bed that's all made up, I want to get in it. <laughs> part duvet. I think lots of us Watersons are part Waterson, part duvet. But <laughs> since the menopause and hot flushes, that started waking me up. And uh, Nigel thought he was having a, a hot flush because they kicked the covers off onto him and then he'd be baking. And then I'd be freezing and I'd get him back off. So that started waking me up and now I've got my frozen shoulder and every time I roll over, it's, it's so horrible, it wakes me up. So no, I don't sleep through, but it's, it's like um, an endurance sometimes, actually, trying to stay asleep. If I ever do sleep through, it's like, yes, I won the lottery. Woo! <laughs> 
So what do you do when when you can't sleep? Do you get up or do you just like persevere or do you listen no, to something? I never get up. I just I'm going to go back to sleep. But sometimes <laughs> I listen to uh, I love going to bed listening to BBC sounds. I just absolutely love it. And I love the uh, the stories that are uh, particularly the stories that just one one narrator. They're easier to fall to sleep because you haven't got dialogue and people, you know, giving each other grief. You know, I'll, I'll listen to things like The 39 Steps or Miss Marples or, or the series from the 50s. And it's quite interesting to listen to something that they've brought out again from the 50s because they talk with plums in their mouths, don't they? And they say... Oh, make me a sandwich, dear. Oh, yes, George, darling. And all the attitudes are different. (laughs) It's quite a culture shock now, listening to something that was recorded in the 50s or the 60s. Yeah, the audiobooks on BBC Sounds are really great. I did um, Frankenstein on there and it's just, it's so brilliant. Oh, brilliant. How wonderful. Well, no, I didn't do it. I listened to it. Oh, oh sorry. I thought you meant you narrated it. But I have such admiration for people, for narrators who do all the different dialogue and things. Aren't they fantastic how they can just get into character and just switch back and do all the voices? Brilliant. I do that with the kids when I used to read to them, but then I'd get sort of mixed up and they'd be going, that's not Harry's voice. You're doing McGonagall's voice and it's Harry talking and things like that. <laughs> I used to love reading with my kids. We always had a routine. It'd be get in the bath and then they'd be all lovely and clean and perfect and smell divine. And then we'd read a story together. And that was our routine every night. Oh, how old are your boys now? 25 and 23. So, yeah. And they still fit in the bath together. <laughs> <laughs> still avid readers. Oh. And they had a great reading vocabulary at school, you know, because we... We did it from a very young, young, early age. I've kept some of the favourite books, you know, because they're just precious time, aren't they? I, I sometimes get the old favourite books out and give mm. them a little read on my own, mm. shed a little tear of those days past. Well, when we first got together, Nigel and I used to read to each other and we got, we got this book, from, a pulp fiction book from a charity shop with skulls and flames on the front. It was called The Unpossessed. And it had little, ad, it had little adverts in for things, you know, those books that had adverts in. And the writing was just so, so shockingly cheesy and crap that you just couldn't resist reading it you just had to read it we used to used to read passages to each other so what keeps you awake what sort of thoughts keep you awake um well if i'm going to do something important i can be stressing about that if I'm going away on tour, I've got everything, I've packed everything, I've got my word crib sheet. So terrified I'm going to forget my words now since I've got the menopause and this cotton wool brain. Things like that, yeah. Any, any of you, you know, anything that you've got on your mind, you can think about it. But then there are lots of creative things as well. I sometimes go off on a creative thing. Like I might get up to go for a wee and notice the moon looks fantastic outside. Oh, I must take a picture. And I have been known to get out in the middle of the night and go and take a picture. Oh, there's some fantastic shadow on the hall wall or on the toilet wall or whatever, you know. Sometimes I can get hijacked by think, oh, I'll just take a picture. (laughs) Capturing it while you can. Because you do 
so much visual art as well. Most people know you for um, doing your albums and your songwriting and your collaborations, but you're also an amazing illustrator and filmmaker, really, aren't you? Mm, thank you. But it's, um, yeah, it's great because sometimes if I need a break from writing or singing, or I can go and switch to making videos or, or animating, and it's still creative, but it's a different process, and then I just switch back again and I just switch between the two creative disciplines and it's really nice and I, I'm a bit like my mum in that respect because when you get creative you think I want to do everything I want to paint I want to sculpt I, I want to do this I want to and uh, yeah you can only pick one at the time so yeah it's a toss-up because of your musical sensibility when when I've seen the sort of illustrated videos that you've done with um, animation and mixed media and old film and stuff you really get a sense of someone being able to move the images to the rhythms and the sort of cycles of the songs so it's a it's it does marry together I often feel like those different disciplines we have add to each one yeah being a mum and then tutoring at Arvon it's like that my two worlds come together working with behavior mm. and wanting the best out of people mm. as well as doing music yeah yeah well when I first started doing my animations I did them because we didn't really have a budget for our first album me and our Ollie but um they were quite naive but they were kind of had a bit of a charm because they were naive but then, you know, I get to do uh, stage loops for Mark Harmond and people like that. And it's just like so interesting, you know. That's amazing. Yeah, I just um, did a video which had, oh, wait a minute, the name's gone. It's menopause brain. No, scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you work all right better in the day or the night? And In the day. Has it changed over the years? No. Sometimes it's nice to wake up. I do write in bed. So sometimes it's nice to wake up and just start writing. But I, I do tend to write in, in bed in the day. And it's just started from when the kids were little. I could just go up there and disappear and, and just have my own space, you know. I remember Dad came up once and uh, I had paper strewn all over the bed. And he went, oh, this looks familiar. Because my mum used to write in bed as well. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's so lovely. It's like a quiet space, isn't it? To, hopefully. But I mean, my my bedroom is like, I do everything in my bedroom. It's full of art materials, animation materials, microphones, <laughs> you know, you name it. <laughs> so this this is like you're a room of one's own in a way. It's like... It is, yeah. When you are in your bedroom, do you like quiet or noise? Do you read? Do you chat? music podcast radio is there something that is the perfect situation for your for your bed well i do i do put a, a story on you know i put bbc sounds on and go to sleep with that but i like it to be pitch black and i like the door to be shut i don't like people can sleep with doors open i don't know how they can i like the door to be shut and the curtains to be closed and i and i won't stick my foot out the bed in case the monster grabs it <laughs> <laughs> Still haven't got over that from being a kid. <laughs> yeah. So were you scared of monsters as a kid? 
Well, it's just that it's just that standard thing, isn't it? I had a, a room in the attic, and I was such a big girl, and I was very proud I had my own room. <laughs> then I'd wake up in the night and think, "What's that?" And it'd just be something draped over a chair or whatever, and I'd sneak down into our lad's room and go and sleep with it. <laughs> so I remember be always waking up in my room, and the, it was my dressing gown on the back of the door yeah. hung up, and it always looked like something. Oh, like it it's was terrible, isn't moving it? Or something. <laughs> Scary monsters. I guess it's our imaginations. <laughs> Can you believe it? We've come to the last question. It's just flown. Can you remember a lullaby or song that sent you to sleep? as a child or a song that you would sing to your kids my mum used to sing la 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 bye bye do you want the moon to play with all the stars to run away with they'll come if you don't cry la 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 bye bye in your mummy's arms asleep in Till the morning comes a creeping, sing la 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 bye. That's beautiful. <laughs> and did you sing that to your kids? I did, but mostly, mostly we read together. Yeah. Can you remember your favourite book for them? Well, I remember when Joe was very little. I read. Um, I cannot blab such blibber blubber. My tongue is not made of rubber. Dr. Zeus, and he was watching my lips and his eyes as wide as saucers and he couldn't believe this this language, <laughs> this sound that was coming. We used to like the Lindley Dodd books. There was one about a warthog, the sniff, snuff, snap, and uh, he'd go down to the waterhole, but the waterhole was dry and he'd go, Wee! <laughs> I guess you had to be there. <laughs> no, is that Harry McClary? Yeah, Harry McClary from Donaldson's Dairy. Yeah, we loved those. Things that rhyme. Dragon in a wagon. Yeah, and the cat that came to tea. That was a good one. Well, thank you so much for sharing this time with me, Mary. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, thanks, Kat. Lovely to see you. Oh, Mary Waterson. (laughs) 